I am an Alicia Curtis stan. I wish those two crazy kids would have worked out. Um, Me too. Me too. They don't. It's fine. I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. I, I really, I was really seeing it for Alicia and Curtis. everyone this is alex and this is m welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content become a show producer on patreon and get access to after the episode outtakes curated playlists movie reviews music video retrospectives and so much more join us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic on today's episode we'll be discussing the first three seasons of e4's hit sci-fi series misfits this british series about a group of young offenders who receive supernatural abilities during an electrical storm was equal parts exciting hilarious and thought-provoking Misfits didn't have a very long run, but it made a huge cultural impact and remains a pop culture relic of the last decade. So what was it that made this series so enjoyable? Stay tuned. Alright everyone, here are some critical details about Misfits. It is classified as an action, dark comedy, science fiction, supernatural, and superhero fiction. It was created by Howard Overman and it aired on E4, a British network, from November 12th, 2009 until December 11th, 2013 for a total of 37 episodes and 5 seasons. The series stars Jonathan Stewart Jarrett as Curtis Donovan, Ewan Rayon as Simon Bellamy, Lauren Soka as Kelly Bailey, Antonia Thomas as Alicia Daniels, Robert Sheehan as Nathan Young, Joseph Gilgun as Rudy Wade, Carla Carla Crom as Jess, Nathan McMullen as Finn Sampson, Natasha O'Keefe as Abby Smith. And Matt Stoko as Alex. So let's jump right into this first season. It was only six episodes. And so I watched the season when it initially aired on Hulu way back. I think this was in 2012, actually. Um, I think it aired on Hulu simultaneously as it was airing on E4 um, or like several months afterward. But I remember watching this first season and I remember it feeling like a lot longer than six episodes. Same. I was sh- I was kind of shocked to come back and do the rewatch and see that it's only six episodes in the first season. I was like, oh, that doesn't seem right. They really packed it in and they made it, they did it in a way that just made the series seem prolonged as opposed to making the episodes feel rushed. Yeah, there's a really great, there's good, the, the episodes generally are really greatly, are really well paced. Um, 
there's definitely like really good pacing to it. I don't I never feel like it's like they're rushing to get through story, but I don't feel and yeah, I never feel like they're rushing to get through story, but I never feel like anything is in there just to to fill time. Right, right, exactly. So when we get into season one, we are dealing with um, six young offenders. We don't ever really get their exact ages, but I'm guessing they're, they're all between the ages of 17 and 20. And they are doing community service for various misdemeanors. Our core ca- characters in season one are Nathan, Curtis, Kelly, Alicia, and um, Gary, well, and Simon. Um, I was going to say Gary, but <laughs> Gary actually dies very quickly. Um, so we have like these five main characters, Simon and Nathan, Simon, Nathan and Curtis and the girls, Alicia and Kelly. And they're all doing time. They're all wearing their orange jumpsuits. They're trying, they're doing community service at their local community center. And it's a probationary work called community payback. And this is where things get set into motion. What I love about this show is you guys know how I feel about a pilot episode. I think it sets the tone for everything. And this pilot episode follows a formula that I like. We are thrust headfirst into the action. And this lets us know what we come, what we can come to expect from the show on the whole. It's not going to be a slow, plotting, dialogue-driven type of narrative. Like, we're jumping right into the meat of the issue. And we're diving in headfirst. And I love it. Right, right. Definitely. So the electrical storm pops off right in the middle of their community service. And it's a freak storm. This, this shit really literally comes out of nowhere. And it gives um, our, at the time, six uh, probationary workers and their supervisor, Tony, powers. Tony is has a lot of anger management issues. And I guess the storm heightened, hit, heightened those issues. And he becomes a, he goes on a murderous rampage. And kills one of them, Gary, very early on. And then this forces Kelly to kill him in self-defense when he goes after the rest of the group. And so these people who didn't really know each other just met like that day um, and, you know, have very different personalities are basically forced to bury some bodies together. They bury Tony and Gary's corpses and our five misfits are left with this huge secret And the rest of the season basically evolves as they learn of their powers, what their powers are, what they can do, and how to try to control those powers. Um, It's really, really well done because their reactions, I feel, are so much more realistic than reactions we normally get in kind of these superhero narratives where the person gets powers and, you know, they all go through that that period of adjusting to their powers and trying to learn their powers. But that initial reaction that these misfits have of like shock and fear to their powers, I think is so realistic and one that's usually lacking. I would be afraid if I had superpowers, even if they were awesome ones. Like at first I would, I would feel fear. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's really crazy. And something that I did not remember was like how, how dark this show got like really quickly um uh, in just like the mood of it i mean when they kill him they like it is like really when they kill the supervisor it's so brutal yeah and like um, the thing is like it has to be right because he's like he's like he's on a rampage on some on some dr jekyll mr hyde type shit 
I mean, they could have, like, I mean, I don't think they had to, I mean, he could have, like, fell and just, like, hit his head. But, like, um, it's just, it's, it was really scary. It actually, it was, like, I was kind of like, whoa, this is so much right now. Um, it, it, it shocked me. But, yeah, when they do get their powers, it's really interesting. And I think it's particularly interesting um, because, and I think one of the, and I think one of the hallmarks that will, that ultimately set the show apart from other shows like it um, is that at least initially with this first cast, the powers are directly tied to like what they want. So mm-hmm. it's so it's kind of like a monkey's paw situation when they're right. giving them. Um, so Curtis is, you know, when we initially meet him before anything, everyone knows Curtis because he's like really, he was locally famous. He was all set to be this really huge star um, for running track, like going to the Olympics. And he, and it, and it all got lost essentially in a one bad decision that he chose in terms of getting drugs, um, getting drugs with his girlfriend at the time. So then when he gets his powers, he gets the power to turn back time right so there's so that's significant right it's like here's the one thing that he really it's the power that he gets is something that he like really wants because he's still trying to fix this pivotal moment in his life that really um put his life in a completely different direction alicia is very she just like she's very uh kind of needy and she really wants people to she's kind of uh self-obsessed about her looks and her body and like how people react to that and she sort of wants everyone to be into her and so then of course she gets when she when she gets her powers her thing is is like when she touches you like you want to have sex with her and then she she learns the dark side to that very quickly (laughs) Which, right, and this was kind of her power before, which is interesting because she she was already someone who used her sexuality to try to manipulate people, and the storm just enhanced that. Like it helped her weaponize it. <laughs> see, I don't, I don't know. I think it's like um, maybe I don't know that I I don't know that I agree with all of that, but like definitely that's part of it. Um, and then like you know Simon is like weird, and he knows that he's weird, so he just wishes he was invisible and like he then he you know gets the power to be invisible so like each character is like it's they're getting a power that like is somehow in their mind at least thinking that this is gonna fix the other stuff in their life and then realizing that okay now that I have the thing that I really want did it actually fix my shit not necessarily Right, right. Um, and they're they're they they have kind of no choice but to be a team now. Again, despite their 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 cultural, socioeconomic, um, and just personality differences, because of you know um, Gary and Tony, um, both murders would be pinned on them if those bodies were found. Right, and the thing is, now with their powers they don't even know how to be. They don't know what their lives are going to look like. So we kind of go with them on this transition. And we very quickly learn, 
like everything we we just explained to you right now literally happens in episode one. <laughs> I know it sounds like a lot, but they get these powers. Gary and Tony get killed and they bury these bodies all in episode one. They very quickly realize, however, that this electrical storm happened all over London and in also in various pockets of other places in the world. And they weren't the only people that got powers. <laughs> so now we're dealing with their powers, their group, their secret, and also a lot of other people running around with various potentially incredibly dangerous powers. Um, in episode two, Nathan, who like I guess um, fancies himself the Casanova of the group, meets who he thinks is a volunteer at like an elderly center, but she's really an 83 year old woman. And the storm gave her her wish, which was to be young again. Right. Like, it's like, so everybody's getting like this wish fulfillment and it's kind of like hindsight being 2020, right? Because if you knew that a, an electrical storm was going to come through and give you what your heart was seeking the very most, would you focus on something like becoming invisible? <laughs> for instance <laughs> or like I becoming mean, hypersexual <laughs> right i mean well that's what makes it interesting is that it gives you because i don't think it's something i think that's what makes the show at least super interesting to me because i don't think these are i think it's just a, a matter of like character function i don't even I don't think that they would are necessarily wanting them. It's just like a like consciously, it's just an inner desire that is now like been given to them and that's that's what makes that that at least initially like that driving force so compelling. Now, this is something that by like third season, I think three or four, like they'll drop, which is unfortunate uh because it's really because it's one of the more compelling things about the series, but they'll, they'll drop this eventually, but at least initially here, that's, that's what it is. It's more of like, it's how you, we, when we're watching these episodes, we learn about each character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a combo of wish fulfillment or heightening the person's perception of themselves. We see that most with Simon and Alicia, right? The way they perceive themselves is exactly the sort of power they got. Not even necessarily something they wanted, but the way they've always seen themselves. She's always someone who's been very sexy. We see Alicia later on doing things like flirting her way out of traffic tickets. Um, we see Simon talking amongst the group and like literally no one paying attention to him. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so like th then this this perception of self becomes heightened. And then you have people like Kelly and like Kelly's like ridiculously strong now right and i don't think she always saw herself as strong but she's someone who always had to be tough because um because of her her class standing she was always like discriminated against like when we meet kelly people are making fun of her and, and using like slurs against her right because she comes from that that infamous neighborhood in in the uk where like they make fun of all the the people i think it's essex Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it could be Essex, but yeah, there's a diff there's a there's a, it's the way they the dialogue and the 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 way that their accent is is very very distinct. So everyone knows that you're from that community, and everyone knows thus that you are poor and or pro most likely uneducated, right? Um, 
and like so people make fun of kelly a lot they make fun of the way she speaks they make fun of the way that she dresses and the way she wears her hair because these are all indicators of her class standing um and so she becomes like ridiculously strong and like unfuckwithable <laughs> i'm sure this is like an inner desire of hers right to be able to defend herself against all the times people have been mean to her right um now, Nathan's superpower is interesting um, because it's like his power is kind of lame, but it's also like he takes he gravitates to his power more easily, I feel, than everybody else. Um, and of all the people in the group, he feels most entitled to his set of powers. And I think it's interesting because I think that his powers manifest as a result of his own personal entitlement. <laughs> Right, right. I remember when this show came out, everybody, and I, I guess still, everybody loves this actor. And I don't know that I was quite taken with him on the rewatch. Um, I don't, like, he's really good, but, like, I, I felt like, I don't know. I don't know what I felt like, but I was like, mm. um, there was something there that was missing for, for, for me from him. Um, but he's, but no, he's really great. And Nathan is like really great. And I know that like the fandom was like obsessed with this character. Yeah, I think one of like the pitfalls of Misfits, like this is when the writing started to get rocky too, was when that actor, Robert Sheehan, left Misfits to pursue other things. He has been in a couple of American productions, like films, that never really, really like took off and did what they they could have done or should have done and he is a really talented actor but he really should have stayed on misfits and obviously hindsight is 2020 no actor wants to be locked down in a character and sometimes they make bad decisions we'll talk more about those bad decisions when we cover teen wolf but um um he left misfits and you, you can see the the shift in writing and that they were clearly not expecting one of their the core cast to make such a swift exit but while he's on the show, I really, really love the chemistry between the the core five. I feel like they have great chemistry together. And the different personalities and the way they interact with each other feels very natural to me. Despite the fact that this is a supernatural show. Right, right. No, and that's, I agree with that. The, the season continues with everybody basically testing their powers, seeing how far they can push things, seeing how far they can push other people. And they also get a new probationary worker supervisor, um, a, a new supervisor, uh, Sally. Um, Sally takes over for Tony. And around the time that Simon starts flirting online with this girl called Shy Guy, Shy Girl 18, it becomes clear very quickly that she suspects that they've done something to Tony. And this is illuminated when we find out that she was Tony's fiance. And so now we have someone who suspects the group. We have someone leaving cryptic messages, hoping that someone in the group will crack. She's already targeted Simon online because she sees him as the weakest link, the one most likely to talk, right? She's trying to get dirt and she's trying to find out, find evidence that they have done something to Tony. So they're being young and using these powers and trying to live up their life. And at the same time, trying to avoid, um, you know, going to jail. Like, this is not a misdemeanor now. Like, they could go to jail for murder. Right, right, right. So they have to do, they have to do something very quickly. 
Right. And she can't like, we can't just say, listen, I know that was your man's, but like he, he was like homicidal and trying to kill us all with his superpowers that you never saw, but he had for the last like 15 minutes of his life. (laughs) Right. Right. We're not going to believe that sir, ma'am, anybody. Um, and, um, and like, so the, 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 the situation becomes more and more heightened um, by episode four when Curtis basically uses his superpower to try to go back and make his relationship work out. Um, that goes badly because going back in time never ends well. Stop messing with the space-time continuum, kids, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the show also has moments of levity because like Alex said, it gets very, very dark very very fast um but the show has moments of levity and it uses the nathan character largely for these moments um we meet a nine-month-old baby for example in episode five the baby is named finn he is a single mom and you wouldn't know it but this baby wants a daddy real bad i guess he saw all the other tots and all the other infants with a father figure and he wanted one too and he is able to manipulate Nathan's emotions and make Nathan want to be his daddy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious because you see him being manipulated. And at first you're like, well, I guess the mom's doing it. But then the 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 way that it's filmed, it's very clear that the baby is doing this to him. And so the concept, just the concept that a baby who's only nine months old understands like the need for a father figure was like really brilliant writing right like i want to step daddy and i like this guy (laughs) yeah it was a really clever episode it was so it was so cute and it was so fun and kelly who is the voice of reason for the group in most situations which i like i like that they made this this really downtrodden character like the voice of reason most of the time she figures out what's happening and so she goes to get that child's real father (laughs) <laughs> so she's like you're not gonna manipulate my friend i'm gonna go find your real daddy we'll just wait right here um but the 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 way the situation progresses you never feel like even though the 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 these kids are brilliant you never feel like they're they're they are too smart a lot of superhero narratives have the pitfalls of making their protagonists either too intelligent or too morally upright in a way that they're not relatable and that they're not really enjoyable to see. We only really enjoy their interactions with villains, right? And I think Misfits avoids that. They're never too clever. They're smart, but then they make really careless, really common human mistakes. And they want to do the right thing, but to varying degrees and to varying levels of success. (laughs) Right. You know, I think one of the greatest parts about misfits and like their powers is, and them getting powers and the whole narrative is, you know, and the characters is that they're, they're just kids. Like they're really just kids. They're normal ass, um, teenagers, young adults who make normal ass teenage young adult decisions. Uh, that's and that's what make that's and because they they are like that and they mess up and they do selfish things they um 
that's why I think it's really, really compelling and really awesome to watch. So by the end of season one, we get to uh, season one ends with a a sort of standalone episode where um, this act uh, is (laughs) where there's this girl that comes in a new character and her power is to basically uh, manipulate people into her way of life. And she's like super buttoned up, super like religious, kind of crazy. And uh, they all, and the team has to sort of band together to try to stop her and then not only stop her, but save the other people who she's um, like melted their mind to go back to their, their true selves we have like a real ass Jim Jones type situation. (laughs) She has a whole cult called virtue. This girl, Rachel, anybody that can control someone's mind, either through attacking it outright or the power of suggestion is the most powerful one in the room, period. (laughs) Right. And the, the woman, sorry, the woman who plays Rachel is um, Jessica Brown. Finlay also, AKA, Lady Sybil from Downton Abbey. So this is like her. It's one of her like more earlier stuff that she did. <laughs> She's an interesting actress because she'll she'll get into a character and just be like, um, I'm good. I'm over it now. And then leave the series. Thanks, girl. Um, But yeah, she's a great actress. While she's on screen, she's very, very compelling, very magnetic, um, very fun to watch. And this is that last episode we're also introduced to Super Hoodie. This is what the group calls this character who wears a black hoodie, who's on a BMX bike. We see him. We know he's important, but we don't know how significant he is until we jump into season two. So let's let's talk about season one real quick. Do you have favorite episodes? I just think it's interesting that all the episodes are just named episode fill in the blank. They don't even have real names. But do you have a favorite episode or favorites? I don't think so. I think it's I think, you know, the season's just so short, like (laughs) that. It's just like you just watch them. But I like the season. I thought it was really good. I think, yeah, if I have to grade the season yeah, um, I would name I would call it really good as well. I guess my favorite episode would honestly be that episode with Nathan and Baby Finn. So that would be episode five. Um, but the, the the all the all the episodes are very seamless in a way that's almost cinematic, and it's shot that way too. I have to talk about the cinematography on this show. It feels like you're watching a superhero um, drama. Like it's it's so well shot. <laughs> They definitely use, like, the conventions uh, and I think definitely the color schemes of, like, these modern, like, comic book movies. It's very, like, muted. It's lots of gray. Um, I don't want to say it's well because, like, particularly in season two, like, when we get to the BMX kid and, like, um, and we find out that, like, Simon and Alicia, like, and Simon and Alicia hook up. My God. Like, I hate it. Like, it's so ugly. Like, <laughs> that I kind of want to, I'll probably talk about it because they wash her out so badly. <laughs> it's actually really yeah. funny. They wash it's- her out so terribly to the point where she looks, it looks like two, um, like, ghosts, like, fucking. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. But they're both yeah. white. <laughs> like, 
That sequence aside, I'm going to say that sequence aside because the actor who plays Simon, and we remember him from Game of Thrones, you guys. <laughs> um, Ewan Rayon, he's incredibly white. He's white even by white people's standards. And we know that when you're doing close-up frames with like white people and people of color, if you don't do it in very warm lighting, um, very warm, intimate type white lighting, it's not going to look right. They took this very white man and put him in a very white room with a girl that's as as light as you can get as a black person. And they still had to wash her out to get her down to his level of whiteness. Like, it, it's bad because they were filming with respect to his coloring and not hers, which was kind of messed up. Yeah, I think they're they're trying to they're trying to film to his coloring. They're also trying to maintain, like, I think the in I don't want to know. I don't know if integrity is the right word, but they're trying to maintain, I think, this palette that they've put together as like a series. Um, but it just doesn't, it's so ugly. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> they needed the kids from like Black Panther Insecure to like come over there and like mm-hmm. talk to them or something. But um, it's, yeah, but it is, I do think that part is smart. The fact that they like, it's all these like really muted, very gray color. The it's this gray coloring. Um, it's very intimate. Like so, in that, I do think it's it's interesting and good and cool. Um, but yeah, first season. Really, I'd, I'd say it's really good. Yes, first season is really good, and I think it gives you so much, but it still leaves you wanting more, which I I think all the best series should strive to do. So when we get into season two, season two is a little bit longer. Season two is seven episodes, and Sally has been killed, so they've got another body on their hands. They have to dump Sally's body at the at the lake. They get a new probation worker named Sean. And um, they also learn in that first episode that Super Hoodie is tracking them. And Nathan had been, because um, he doesn't really know what his powers are. In season one, he's like fiddling around. He thinks like his powers to be charming or something similar to Alicia's. Because again, he always sees himself as like sort of Casanova. But when he dies in season one, um, Super Hoodie leads Kelly to his grave. And they realize He's still alive, and that's his power. He can't be killed. Right, which is interesting. Like, so yeah, we thought his power was some ridiculous shit before because we couldn't really get our eye on it. And like, he was like, well, maybe that's my power. I'm like super witty, and I'm super charming, and I'm super amusing. And I'm like, that's silly. Your powers are bullshit. But then we're like, okay, he has some real powers. And it kind of reveals a vulnerability within the Nathan character um, and a lot of people who use humor as a defense mechanism, he has a deep fear. And I guess his deep fear is dying or, or at least dying young. Which makes sense, right? Because in the previous season, we see his mother like wholesale kick him out of the house and he is homeless, um, living on the streets. That's one of the things, that's one of the things that I really actually, uh, I'm very impressed. I'm always continually impressed by series from the UK and series from like other countries. Like they really do sort of, uh, but particularly the UK, they really um, tackle this idea head on that like teenagers are homeless. There are so many, like there are homeless teenagers. It's just what it is. And um, 
particularly people who are, you know, quote unquote, bad kids or whatever, are in these really bad situations. Um, So it makes perfect sense for Nathan to have that deep seated fear of like that he's going to die young because, you know, circumstances say, yeah, you are right. When yeah, you don't if you're out here like, in these streets. <laughs> right, when you don't have, like, a safe place to, like, re- like refuge or, um, or you know, all the things that you're supposed to have in order to grow up healthy and happy um, and safe. And that's, that's really, it's, it's part of what makes this series extremely compelling and interesting and, and wonderful to watch. Right. And we and the thing is, at least with this core group, Nathan, Curtis, Simon, Alicia, Kelly, not as much Simon as everybody else, honestly. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. But all these characters, we see not just how their powers, but how their actions, once they get those powers, are shaped by their backstory. Right. Right. Um, and it's 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 super duper interesting to watch. Um um, we 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 get more into the super hoodie character and trying to find out who he is, but we don't lose sight of the narrative that we we have ongoing. We need to keep the group from, from the group needs to keep anyone from finding out about Tony, Gary, and now Sally. They need to navigate these um, powers. They need to get their lives on track. Um, this, that, and the third. Um, as the the group delves more into Super Hoodie's personality, um, by episode three, Alicia finds out who he is. He's Simon from the future. And the Simon that she meets is very different from the Simon we've been dealing with thus far. The si- Simon that's awkward and shy and c- cringe and gives off real creep vibes and energy is not the Simon that's Super Hoodie. Like, that Simon is, is um, calm poised assertive and dare i say sexy um the simon is a character that i talk about all the time when discussions of quote unquote nice guys and incels come up because the way that ian um ewan ran um the actor portrays simon is such a wonderful demonstration of how the ability to attract people and how you come off to people is 99% your personality and has almost nothing to do with your appearance. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And we talk about that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I'm really not fucking with present Simon, but future Simon is actually likable. Right, right. Yeah, like when if you can really just, in, I think mentally um, and... I was going to say spiritually, because, yeah, it's like vibes are very spiritual. But um, if you can mentally and, and, and spiritually, like, get that right and project that outward, like, you are, you can really be unstoppable. Honestly, mm-hmm. truly. It doesn't really matter what you look like. <laughs> right. And from the moment Alicia, meet, Alicia meets him, she doesn't even have to question when he says he's from the future. She knows something about him is vastly tangibly different than the Simon that she's used to dealing with. Right. His energy is so intensely different that it's like dealing with a completely different person. 
And she tells him that they're going to fall in love. And this is the thing that changes him. This narrative, I don't know how I feel about it. Like a woman's love is a thing catalyst to change a man and make him better. Um, I guess they do it better than other shows because usually when shows do this narrative, it's an abusive man. Like, if you love the abuser enough, he will change. And at right. least they didn't take that route. <laughs> Thank you for not taking that route. <laughs> um, but it's such a, it's such a, it's a, it's a really great shift because we can, ne- we could never imagine Alicia with present day Simon. But when we see her with the future version of Simon, their personalities click. He's exactly the calm, assertive, dignified type of man that's like a challenge for her. Because every other man she's just dealing with just falls at her feet, right? <laughs> or it's just not working out. Like, I I am an Alicia Curtis stan. I wish those two crazy kids would have worked out. Um, Me too. Me too. They don't. It's fine. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, really, I was really seeing it for Alicia and Curtis. Um, I, I think this, this, this romance plot was a way to... Um, get the fans believing in Simon. Not so much rooting for Simon. I mean, we're rooting for him low-key. He's part of the group. But, like, believing in him as, like, someone who is impactful within the group, I guess. Um, And the Curtis has always been this very assertive, um, very self-confident person. And I guess because Alicia is, too— they thought they were too similar or maybe they just didn't want the two black characters to be, to end up together. Cause British TV loves them in interracial romance. They do. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is. I don't know what Great the reason Sorry. If anybody like watches the grapevine, the grapevine is basically um, like a channel where like black millennials talk about issues um, and there is a great, like, Grapevine UK episode where they talk about this very thing. So this isn't something we're just, like, making up. This is something that, like, a lot of people think about. Um, and it's actually a really great episode. Uh, so you should check that out. Um, they talk a lot about this, the representation on television, like, the sort of implications of that, um, the colonialist, the colonial uh, implications of that, what that means to them, and, like, um, what they'd like to see people do better. It's actually very interesting. So check that out. Like, and it's necessary, you guys, because I can't think of one British show where I've seen the black character with a black partner in in a relationship. I don't just mean a casual hookup. I'm I'm going, you know, skins, um, misfits, uh, chewing gum, crazy head, like all of it. All of it. If they don't give me the the black character with a white partner, they'll give me someone who's who's clearly monoracial, but give them a white parent in the cast somehow, um, magically. <laughs> like it's 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 really alarming the rate at which this happens. I don't think I've ever seen two black people in a relationship on British television ever. Like right, I, I, ever. Uh, uh, oh no, a web series, yes, but not British television. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's really sad. Hate to see it. But my man Curtis does have like a string of love interests throughout the series. And they're all significantly lighter than him because we can't have a dark skinned girl with a dark skinned guy. Heaven forbid. Um, but they are they are all black. Um pretty much everybody on this show gets various love interests. Um, except for, um, Kelly, 
Now there's an episode, I may have missed it last season. Was it last season? Where Kelly falls in love with a man, but it turns out like the storm turned him into a man, like he was a gorilla before. I think that's next. I think that's season. That, that, that might be season three. I know what episode you're talking about, but I think it's season three, yeah. And it's okay, weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. They really try this girl. Like the, the 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 characterization of Kelly makes it very clear that this this uh, socioeconomic group that she belongs to is not a beloved class of people. I mean, they um, write Kelly like like American people write black girls. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, you know what? Ugly. Thank you for saying that. I was thinking it, but and I was like, maybe. But yeah, it is. It's really bad. It's really, it's really bad. bad. They shit all over this girl. They shit all over her. And I don't know whether it's like. Because it has to be more than just this silly accent. Like, um, and it doesn't, like, escape me that uh, the way that... Well, first of all, it doesn't escape me that the way that they style her or the way... However way, the way that, like, this girl dresses and, and it's she's supposed to be reminiscent from this region or whatever, it... A lot of those styles are appropriated anyway. They're, they all look like stuff that black girls do, Right. Like, mm-hmm. the ponytail, like, the really big gold hoops. Like, they all, like, look like the like the wearing multiple chains on the neck and stuff. Like, the air, like, the sneakers being, like, the style they are. It all looks like stuff that American black girls wear. So, like, it, it's appropriated anyway. And then on top of it, like, I know her body type isn't like the other girls on the show. It's not that she's fat. She's just, like... She, but she's definitely thick. Like she's t- and she's clearly taller. So it's something that I've. It's actually something that I've been ruminating on for a while. Like um, since I think the premiere of this series, the, of like, what is that exactly? Thank you for bringing up the body type thing because, as you said, Kelly's not fat. She's nowhere near it. She's not chubby or anything like that. But she looks very stocky. She looks healthy. She looks um, well fed. When, when I think of that term, well-fed, healthy, um, fit, I think of a body like hers on, on an average level. Um, however, all the other women on the show, particularly those that are, rep- are, are presented as love interests or partners, are very petite. They're short, they're thin, and they are supposed to come off delicate. Right. And she's not those things. And I think her power in making her super strong is not a perception, again, of Kelly's self because she wants to be um, treated like a woman and she wants to um, be protected and she wants to be prioritized. I think it's a it's a projection. Her power is a manifestation of other people's projections upon her, always seeing her as the tough girl. And the fact that she's always had to be in arguments with people trying to defend herself. Right. There's... um. There, right, because there's there's an episode where she's like, I'm a fucking lady. She's like, don't fucking, like, talk to me. And it's, and it's, and while that line is hilarious, and she says it in a really hilarious way, like, it's indicative of what she wants, which is to just be treated with some care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is interesting to me. Like, the emotional truth of that um, is, is very compelling. And piggybacking 
she's portrayed like black girls are portrayed in the U.S. argument. Um, that theory has so that it holds so much weight because this is something that black women talk about a lot, where our characters on television, if they're fat, they're always portrayed as the comic relief. And if they're not, then they're like the 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 strong, independent black woman that and that either way, no one is checking for or no one is protecting and providing for. Right. And that's the Kelly character. Um, she's been she's the backbone of the group in so many ways. Um, Kelly's the one who does the saving. Kelly doesn't need to be saved. <laughs> right. And then, like, because she's, like, punished for it. It's just so... It's interesting. It's interesting. It's ugly. Um, and I think it's... And I think, like I said, the fact that, like, her, that style, even just, like, in whatever region of that, it's so appropriative already of uh, American Black aesthetics um, mm-hmm. makes that even more weird and, and just, and complicated. And, uh, I, I'm, like I said, I'm still sort of thinking on it and, and sorting through it. Yeah. So her character is kind of like an amalgamation of how white people see black people and also how, how wealthy black people see quote unquote white trash. This, this season is really, really good though. I think it does its best to live up to the precedent that was set by season one, we keep having one-offs. We keep meeting more characters. We keep meeting these new people, all of whom were affected by the storm in various ways. In so doing, the misfits learn more about themselves, right? Like, we meet Brian in episode six. He has the ability to manipulate dairy products, which is... Weird. <laughs> it's such a lackluster power, you guys. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Like, okay, I'd probably open a yogurt shop if I could do that, but still. Then we meet Daisy, who can cure any disease, injury, or disability. Now that is a power. That is a power, sis. (laughs) Mm -mm, Right. (laughs) Um, That is a freaking power. When we discover these people outside of their group who have these powers, it gives the show so much more scope and it, again, even though it's a superhero drama, it feels so much more realistic that they're not the only people, like, these five plus Tony and Gary are not the only seven people in all of London who were affected by this electrical storm. That wouldn't make any sense. Right. And what makes that interesting and different from, I think, American shows who, that sort of do the same thing, so, like, a Flash or like a Smallville, right? Where like you have Clark Kent who has powers, but then you have um, like the the meteor rock is also given. <laughs> that becomes like the catch-all. Everybody has powers because of this, these damn meteor rocks. Is that um, pretty much uniformly the people with meteor rock, like the meteor rock quote unquote villains are, are shown as just that villains. Whereas Misfits uh, really relies on character um, and not everybody else and not everyone is like who outside the group is a a villain. Um, Sometimes they are, but sometimes they're just is misguided and hurting and, you know, normal and fallible as our leads. And that's what ultimately makes the story better. Misfits relies on character. Uh, more than anything else to tell story. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and I think it's important. As I was saying earlier with these characters and how they're more or less good people to varying degrees, and they try to do the right thing to varying degrees, um, and they are selfish like most people are. And this makes them relatable. This makes the characters enjoyable to watch. I really, really love Misfits for giving us these imperfect characters. The characters stay in the gray, and not in the gray like a lot of the characters from our Outlaw season did. It's not a gray where, like, I'm trying to do the wrong thing as rightly as possible. It's, no, I'm a human being, and I'm fallible, and I want to do the right thing, but sometimes I'm selfish, and sometimes I'm stupid, and sometimes I make mistakes. This is where our our cast of characters very firmly resides. And like we said, they are very young. So they're trying to get to know themselves and these powers simultaneously. Um, and it's really, really enjoyable to watch. How would you rate season two? Season two is really, it's also really good. Um, it's interesting. So by the time there is an episode where, uh, somebody does come along where they can take away your powers. Like, that's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. you your that's power in episode take- seven. Right. And Alicia goes to do it, which I don't blame her. Like, Rogue is not necessarily a happy person. So, um, yeah, her powers are trash, too. She's like, she's not even strong. You're just seductive, girl. <laughs> um, and so... They all sort of have to grapple with that of like, do they do they want to give up these powers that they've gotten or do they want to um, keep them? And then what does and what does this mean? And it's really great. That's that's how we end the season, season seven, Um, because it has all these like really big, I think, moral, not just moral implications, but implications about these characters and how they see themselves and how they see themselves growing and. Uh, all this different stuff. It's it's really good. So, yeah, season season seven. Although they kill another person, they just keep killing people. Um, <laughs> uh, season uh, not season seven, but season two. I I would put with another solid good. Yeah, good as well. And for the reason you stated, I think the way they close the season with the Seth character who can remove your powers who can buy and sell powers to teen people. He like he can't use them himself, which I thought was really interesting. He can't use them. He can just take them and give them to other people, basically buying and selling, trading these powers like Pokemon cards. I loved it. I think it was such a great way to show the character's growth as well, particularly the Alicia character. Everybody else wants to sell their powers as well, um, but she lets Seth take her power for free. Sis is over it. And I think that shows so much of how she's grown because she's, like I said, someone who's always used her beauty and her sexuality to get her way. And then she realized that, like, uh, 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 a hyper-reality of that, a prolonged version of that, um, brings out the worst in both her and in the people she comes into contact with. And I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to say that this thing that you have— that you really could wield as a weapon if you wanted to. It isn't serving you. It isn't serving humanity at large. And it does more harm than good. Right. It's really, really great to see. Um, And everybody else at this point is sick of their powers for one reason or the other. (laughs) And so they're just trying to sell them and possibly get different 
powers. The season ends so, so well. We, I think we see a lot of growth in these characters in just those first two seasons. In just 13 episodes, we get these really great character arcs, particularly with Curtis and Alicia and Simon, that I think it's a great feat. It's a, really, it's a real testament to the writing. Right. No, I agree. Um, so season, season three. Season three is eight episodes, technically. In fact, it's actually nine episodes. Um, that first season, um, that first episode that we see in the season is actually left untitled. And it's an episode called Vegas Baby. So Robert Sheehan left Misfits after season two to pursue other endeavors. And so in Vegas Baby, we see him with Marnie, whom he met in the last season, and her baby. And um, he's going to Vegas. And the, 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 the character he's replaced with, Rudy, um, answers the phone and hangs up after he's incarcerated and he calls Simon with his one free call. And so the last thing we hear from Nathan as he's being dragged away toward a cell is save me, save me. That's Vegas baby. Again, it's an, it's an unlisted episode, even though you can watch it. So the season technically has nine episodes. Um, but when we go into the official episode one, we don't see Nathan. The final appearance of Nathan is in Vegas baby, but we jump into season two with new people, new characters, we meet Rudy, who's an interesting character. He can he has a power of having a double. Like you have like rude Rudy and we have like sensitive Rudy. He basically having a split personality, a physically split personality is his superpower, which again is kind of a bullshit power if you ask me. Like it's great if you're in a fight, like you're getting jumped, but like okay. Right. <laughs> I hate, like, this is a staple of UK shows, and I hate it. Like, but I will say in that um, UK shows will always continue on and just, and, like, will switch out cast members or, like, so people that you've been dealing with for, like, two, three seasons, then at, like, the last hour they want to be like, oh, here are all these new people because our old <laughs> people are gone. And it's it's a thing off, it's all across all the shows I hate it so much. Like, it sucks. But I will say that Misfits, I think, probably does this the best. Um, inter- like, integrates their new characters, like, the the best out of all of them. I agree with that. I completely agree. I mean, I know shows who do this intentionally, like Skins does it. They give each generation um, two seasons, right? They follow them when they're in college, which is the British version of grades 11 and 12. So your last two, what would be their last two years of high school is when we see them. We already know this is the formula, so it doesn't feel like we're hanging by a thread, right? But then you have other shows where actors just dip. And I don't know what the actors' unions are in the UK, but directors, producers, y'all need to start locking these people down into multi-season contracts. This is I ridiculous. Know. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like you better, you better get on like these, like the American shows. You got six years. <laughs> they own you on American TV. Like that's the contract. So usually, it's like they own you for six years or until the show get can- gets canceled, and you just sort of live with that. <laughs> like right, like because this this thing that we keep doing on you on uk in the uk is like this is i hate it here like 
I hate it so much. And I this actually it. literally ruins shows. Jessica Finlay Brown did it when she left Harlots. She was in a lead role as part of the principal cast. The the narrative had shifted to make her our protagonist rather than her mother, who had been our protagonist season one because she was such a well liked character. And then you just throw the deuces up, like you just chuck the deuces. This, like. At that point, we can't blame the writing, the, the writers when the writing is kind of shaky then, right? To try to recuperate from a storyline that was already plotted out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't, you know. And also because, you know, and we talk about this, how delicate casting is. How mm-hmm. it's such a delicate thing and how you can have... Um, and that how your casting can really make or break you in in some way sometimes. So it's like, if you leave, like, what? Like, <laughs> right. um, you know, and I like. Think... Go ahead. No, and like, I get it. Like, life happens. Life comes at you fast. And um, it can get, like, dodgy and, and uh, all that stuff. But, whew, y'all, come on. It's so much. And it's like the other thing besides casting, because you can get someone that's great for the role, but not great for the cast. And I think this is when we start to see that shift in the chemistry between the core cast. Because as I said in season, when we were talking about season one of Misfits, they had great chemistry in that group. Um, And I think the Rudy character, even though he's a great character, we had a moment of training wheels, I feel. Um. Like it was a little shaky there. It was a little dodgier minute. Like I don't, I don't, I don't feel like he integrated as um, seamlessly as what he should have, as like a page character did, for example, on Charmed. Right and right because, like we said, casting is is very very delicate. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we get more powers. We get more people doing more things. Um, um. This, <laughs> it's interesting. These kids will never, ever end their community service. They actually end their community service, like, in the end of season one. But in season two, um, everybody is caught riding around in a stolen car. And they're all sent back to community service. Somebody who showed up last season, I only because I, I don't think she, I think she does come around again this season. But, um, uh... And we'll talk about her more. Uh, Nikki, played by Ruth Nega before, I guess, international stardom. Charlie, who shows up in, in season three, episode one. Um, Nathalie Emmanuel, also pre-international stardom, I suppose. It's they give they give they love giving courtesies beautiful light skinned light skinned um, biracial mi- girls my mi- biracial girl interests and it's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned Ruth Nega because I swear until you said her name I didn't remember that that was her. Oh because, yeah, like all the stuff that she does now is so highbrow. Like right? I'm like, oh, that is Ruth Nega. That is Ruth, girl. It how is, you been? All her stuff is so highbrow now. <laughs> like, like she wouldn't expect like, Ruth now. Ruth is like it's below me now. Smithfits, that's below me now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know, girl. I don't know. I, I and and like Natalie Emanuel has like she has elevated Game of Thrones and being one of the token Negroes on that show really put her in like the international light, I feel. It did. Um, Her stock just went up over 2 million. And she was in that really, really cute um, series adaptation of Four Weddings and a Funeral, which I much prefer to the movie, by the way. (laughs) Um, I 
did watch that when you said to watch it, and I did. I really liked it. Yeah, it's good. It's it's. it's I think it's real cute, and I, honestly, it's better than the movie. I'm I'm probably just saying that because I'm like, um, I don't think Hugh Grant is that great of an actor, but that's a personal feeling. <laughs> um, it's uh, this season is so cool because I think um. And I said this when we were talking about season two. Curtis and Leisha are a lot of like, they're both very sexual people. They're both very charismatic people. They they have a very seductive, assertive quality about them. And this season, we kind of explore Curtis and this mindset that he has around women and wanting to be with women and wanting relationships with his new set of powers. His new set of powers allows him to take on a female form. And he's been pretty much banned from athletics since the first time he was arrested and and put on probation. And now he has a chance to revive his career with his female form, which he calls Mel. Right? Right. Except I find this plot very uncomfortable. It's deeply uncomfortable. It's so deeply uncomfortable. But one of the things that I appreciated, one small thing I appreciated about this plot line is that despite the fact that he changed his appearance, his sexual orientation did not change. He's still attracted to women. And he develops a crush on um, one of his running mates, Emma. It's really, really interesting because being a young man, because that's what he is, looking like a woman and changing his body does not make him any less of a man. Um, he, He does try to exploit the situation. But we do see... Curtis's morals kick in, right? Before he t- he takes too much advantage of this. And I think this was like when we see the Curtis character finally start to grow. Like you just can't go on like this. Like you can't manipulate powers and manipulate time and manipulate your body and manipulate people into getting what you want. You just have to deal with life as it is. Right. I think one of the reasons I liked it was, and I'm going to bring up J.K. Rowling. Um, if you guys follow her on Twitter, I've had her blocked for years, but if you guys follow her on Twitter, she went on another t- transphobic tirade to try to remain, to try to keep some social relevancy, I guess. And I think what's cool about the Curtis character changing his body is that it doesn't change who he is in his core, right? Mm. Um, when we say trans women are women and we say trans men are men, we mean that. And it's not just like, oh, if a trans woman puts on a dress and grows out her hair and gets gender reassignment surgery and then she'll be a woman. No, she was a woman prior to any outward changes. And this is why I enjoyed the fact that the Curtis character was still intrinsically who he was, um, you know, a heterosexual man, just whatever in whatever form he took, whether it was Curtis or Mel, <laughs> like it didn't change. It it changed his uh his genitalia, right? But it didn't change who his uh, his the way he identified as a person. Um, his his mm. sexual interest in women women didn't go away. His 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 um his his feeling of of masculinity and being a man didn't go away either. <laughs> Right. No, that's that's a very that's that's a good point. Like, it's not like he he just like became Mel and like you know like oh I need to go to Sephora, you guys. <laughs> like that did not happen. Or like oh God, I want to bake something today. Or all those other like um, stereotypically feminine trappings. And I think that's important to note that femininity and masculinity and sexual orientation is so much more than what your body is or what your body looks like. So 
you know, there there was one th- good thing to be gleaned from that episode, although it was filled with problematic things in the fact that, you know, he's abusing this shape-shifting power to, like, be around these naked girls and be privy to conversations that they wouldn't have with a man, right? It's, it's, but again, our misfits are not, they, they do selfish things. And this is what keeps their characters sharp. And this is what keeps us interested in seeing how their characters grow. Cause they didn't start out perfect. They have to, they have to struggle and grow into that, which I think is really, really interesting. We don't have a lot of Peter Parkers here. We don't have a lot of like intrinsically good people, <laughs> Right. Oh, no, that's true. We don't have a lot of Kalos or Clark Kents who are just like, oh, they're just like engineered to be great and and of of impeccable moral character. That's not what's going on here. <laughs> so it it does make it fun to watch. We meet more people. Um, see, episode four I thought was a really great episode because every time people think about time traveling, this is a question that gets asked a lot. If you could go back and stop Hitler, would you stop Hitler? And like my answer to that has always and forever been no. Because again, don't fuck with the space-time continuum, kids. I wouldn't even go back and stop slavery because that would most assuredly um, mean that I stopped my own conception because we all know how the diaspora got here. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's the truth. Mm. It's a very uncomfortable truth. It's a lot to (laughs) meditate on. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like it's bad and I would change the future, the, the, the implications that systemic racism and colonialism has had on our people. I would change from this starting point into the future, how that plays out. But changing the past, I feel, is a very dangerous game. That does not end well for most people, even in a fi- in a fictitious realm. Well, the fictitious realm is all we have to go by, as far as I know. No one has ever actually go- tra- time-traveled. But in episode four, we actually have a Jewish man who buys Curtis's old power from Seth. Curtis's time-traveling power. Mm. Um, and he tries to go back in time to kill Hitler. Always always and i don't blame him i understand like your people been through some things fam like and when i think about slavery and the atrocities of slavery i'm incensed but that already happened and you could cause potentially greater harm by trying to undo it if that makes sense right Mm. i always just Uh think it's interesting that like because that's like you said that's like a very that's a big genre convention of like the time travel like genre anyway that's a big sort of thing like every every single time travel show that you've ever seen always has that episode of like are we gonna go and kill hitler or whatever um interesting that nobody tries to stop slavery that's that's always interesting (laughs) nobody ever tries that that's just an observation it's neither here nor there continue well we know only one of those was considered a tragedy and we know why (laughs) oh so much (laughs) Because if we want to talk, if we want to talk about bodies, there were 12 million people killed in the Holocaust. Six million of them were Jewish. Um, where the number of people that were killed in um, slavery, just in the continent of North America and the Caribbean alone, goes to the hundreds of millions. The actual number of like uh, Indigenous Americans, like where like is. Um, uh, like in terms like when you add up the tribes and like the population it's 300 million like 
indigenous Americans that were like killed. Like I was like, holy shit. Like that's a whole fucking, like, that's crazy. Every time like I hear that number, I'm just like, wow. Do you know how dedicated you have to be to murder and genocide to kill 300 million people? Like, you think you would just get tired with, like, one. Like, no. Like. Right. I feel like even if I was about that murder life, after I burned down the first community, I would have been tired. (laughs) Right? Like, wouldn't you be tired? (laughs) Like, I'd be like, girl, that was so much work. Like, I can't keep doing this. But they were like, like oh, no, we're, we're going to do this. <laughs> like, what? You know, and it's not to compare tragedy. It's not to minimize the Holocaust whatsoever. But again, we know why that loss of life is considered a tragedy and the loss of Black life and the loss of Indigenous life is not considered a tragedy. And who benefits from the narrative? Um, you know, I know Black Lives Matter. You know Black Lives Matter. We've always known that. Right. But does the world and the actions that people take actually reflect that? No, it doesn't. (laughs) And I mean, honestly, old dude could have should have gone even further back in time. I would have gone to even if I'm trying to like help my people out, I would have gone even before Hitler. Like, um, like I'm not I wouldn't try to kill Hitler. I would just go to before his conception and keep his parents apart. But that's just me. Right. I think that's, I just think it's I think it's less work to <laughs> to I'm not I'm not doing all of that. Like if, hell, if I can just keep them apart on the day you were conceived, I job done. Like I'm not I'm not trying to kill a grown man who's already set in his ways, who's already infected other people with his ways, right? Cuz he already right. had a following. He already put out a book, sweetheart. Another person can just take up the mantle. <laughs> Right. There would have been some, like, yeah, there would have been someone else inevitably, right? To just sort of. Right. He's already built a a base of fanatics. So, and that's what Nazis are. They're white supremacist fanatics. Don't argue. (laughs) Like, don't argue in the comments that that's not what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, it is a, it is a singular fixation with an idea of white supremacy and white um white um white homogeny that is what it is so um he tries to go back to kill hitler and wouldn't you know it hitler manages to overpower him cuz he's old as fuck like you should have first gone back to when you were young and you were in your prime to get in fighting shape before you went back to see hitler but okay and you like just sent your younger self to go do it. Um, but when he's in this tussle with Hitler, he first of all, he already broke the cardinal rule of time traveling, which is to not bring anything that doesn't belong into that time period into the time period. Like if I were going to the Victorian era, for example, I couldn't wear a cardigan. I couldn't wear jeans. I would have to go to a dressmaker and and have them make for me whatever it was Victorian housemaids or Victorian house slaves wore. So I could fit into the time period. I'd have to cut my locks because women, black women didn't wear their hair that way in that era, at least not in that part of the world. But he goes looking fresh out of the 2000s and he brought his cell phone with him. And so after he's overpowered and killed, the, the cell phone that he leaves allows the Nazis to develop better technology and they win the war. Good job, sir. Good job, sir. Good job. And this, this, I love this, I love this narrative and this storyline so much because for those who are not in the know, um, the Nazis computer scientists were none other than IBM. Um, the Nazis and the funding that they got from Nazis allowed IBM to become the company that they are today, 
we have a few companies that were affiliated with the Nazis heavy that keep that shit under wraps now. Another one of them is the fashion house Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss's first major contract was making uniforms for Nazi soldiers. Right. Lots of people benefited. So many people benefited. Um, And Nazis were really, really big on computer science, um, uh, genetic um, genetics and just genetic biology and um, chemical warfare. So w- any tilt in any one direction would have, you know, been the wave, been the thing to help them. It wouldn't have taken their scientists long to, you know, open the cell phone, take it apart and figure out what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> so um, good job. Good job, sir. You just made a bad situation infinitely worse. Um so um, Kelly ends up having to rewind time back to normal and undo what this man did. Kelly literally saves the world, you guys. Just want to put that out there. Kelly literally saves the world as we know it. They don't give sis any love. Like, this show forced me to stand a white woman in a way that I've never had to stand a white woman before. <laughs> right? That's true. I've never had to stand anyone as hard as Kelly because nobody's going up for for, for her. Um, you know, and this is the thing. These are the kind of things I think about when I think about like going back in time to undo slavery. How many lives, how many black lives existing today would I undo? Like even I'm not just talking about people whose like bloodlines were intermingled with the oppressor. I'm talking about people whose parents, grandparents, great grandparents, etc., literally would have never met if their ancestors hadn't been taken to the the US, Haiti, Jamaica, Costa Rica, whatever, right? Right. I'm thinking I'm thinking about how many people um I could harm if I do one thing wrong and slavery is never abolished anywhere. Right. It's a it's a delicate balance of of balancing a lot of things. Girl, that's too many plates. That's too many balls to juggle. I feel like that's like, that's like literally like juggling, juggling a thousand balls while hula hooping while your ass is on fire. It's a lot. No, (laughs) it is a lot. Um, there's like a really, again, they try to put moments of levity into this. Um, there's a woman who, um, who gives people like super STDs in season episode, episode six, which is hilarious. Hmm. Um, there is, is this, please tell me this is the season where Kelly gets the, the, the gorilla boyfriend. Did I, I miss it? It is. No, it, this is it. Okay. Her boyfriend is a great guy, treats her well, doesn't talk much. Um, but, um, she, uh, she doesn't understand that, um, the storm made him a man. Bruno, that's her boyfriend's name, right? Bruno? Yeah. He used to be a gorilla at the zoo. And I can understand why when you've literally been held hostage by human beings, you associate humanity with freedom. And what more would you want, right? Um, I guess the storm gave him his most cherished wish, which was to be a man. And to be a man, to be a white man, means to like be master of your own destiny, I guess. It makes sense. But this is the first occasion we have of, uh, that we know of, of the electrical storm giving, giving a superpower to animals, which opens the conversation for so much more to come, right? Yeah, I think it, honestly, it felt like one of, just like a weird, dorky, one-off episode. I don't think, it doesn't feel to me like that the writers are deep, like, 
ooh, what does this mean for the implications of, like, I think they're just like, oh, this is funny. Like... Oh, no, you're it, right. They don't, they don't like do a, anything with it. <laughs> it felt hardcore like a Riverdale moment. Like... <laughs> Um, in that sense. So I don't, I just remember thinking it's like weird and like white people are so weird when it comes to like that, like stuff like this. I, I never get this. Like I never get storylines like this. And like, like this isn't, this show isn't like the first like show to sort of like bring this up. Like there are tons of shows with like talking animals or like animals that are sentient or like want to explore the idea of, um, of that but I'm just like ugh make this stop like and like somehow it always devolves into bestiality like or like some sort of bestiality like implication and it's like this is weird like why do you keep writing this yeah this was bestiality light I'm not gonna lie like Like, it was (laughs) he's still a gorilla I just had this conversation about Curtis changing his form did not change who he was Bruno is still a gorilla you guys he's still a gorilla he's a gorilla that um that has like that's had um that has internalized self-loathing issues (laughs) but he's still a gorilla like um I love how you say Riverdale moment. I'm going to start using that too. Every time something (laughs) literally just does not correlate with any of the rest of the dialogue or the narrative, I'm going to just start calling it a Riverdale moment. No, um, what I mean is this was an opportunity to expand the storyline, but like you said, they really ended up doing nothing with it. It was just a one-off and it was just a, honestly, I feel like just a way to make fun of the Kelly character. It's desire for love. Love. And that's the worst part about it. It's like, they use it as an opportunity to be like, oh, fuck Kelly. Like, like, oh, girl, you thought you could have a relationship? <laughs> fuck you. Like, it's just horrible. And, and like, once again, I just, I don't know. I really, it's it's also something because it's something I've just seen in so many shows. I like, genre shows with, like, when it comes to animals. And it's something I've read in a lot of books. And I'm just like, white people seek help. Well, I don't, I don't know why you want to fuck your dog or your, or, like, the gorillas at the zoo or um cows like but like that's not normal that's weird like go to a therapist i hope i hope you get that for yourself that's all yeah um a lot of therapy was needed i mean they had another animal episode in this season where there's like this uh seth has a zombie girlfriend ex-girlfriend shannon and like she has like a zombie cat and like we never know what comes of the zombie cat we never see the zombie cat again but like that was kind of cute, but like when you honestly, what they did to the 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 Kelly character with this whole Bruno thing was such trash. Like the more I think about it, the angrier I get on her behalf. Um, yeah, because they're literally okay. saying like this is the best relationship she's ever had, and the person she's most compatible with is a literal gorilla. Gorilla, like, like if it's so ugly, and I just uh, like. I, yeesh, yeesh, yeesh. And this is something that, like, they did to, um, they did this to, uh, what's her face? Um, Gabri Sidibe on American Horror Story. They did the same thing. And I was just like, and it's, it's, it's just always ugly. It's Girl, always I'm so ugly. glad I tapped out after Asylum. I'm so glad I tapped out. I remember, like, I talked about that. I'm like, they had her have sex with an animal, you guys. Like, <laughs> please explain to me how that's not racist. <laughs> and people are like, oh, you're just reading too much into it. I'm like, am I? 
Am I? Yo, all I gotta say is if Kelly was a black girl and they tried that, I'd probably be ten times more heated than I am right now. Cause right, you know, I'm pretty heated. Yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty <laughs> heated. Like I'm pretty upset for her. Like so, woof, girl, couldn't be it's me. So bad. Um, I misspoke earlier when I said that the season had technically nine episodes. It actually, has technically ten episodes. There's another episode that's unlisted, and it's called Eraser, um, which kind of like has its own thing and it's a little bit of it's a little one-off um with this girl named Susie in a parallel universe with Rudy. Um we have a lot of one-offs this season and I think it's their way of trying to grapple um with trying to put the show back on even footing after Robert Sheehan's exit while still trying to propel this Simon Alicia love story. Really Curtis and Kelly are the only people that keep this season feeling stable to me. Um, so the season ends, at least like if you're watching it on Hulu, cause these, the, the Vegas baby and like these other like things, like, I guess Eraser aren't like, if you're watching the series through on Hulu, like I had, I rewatched them. I didn't see any of those. So you'd have to probably find them on YouTube or the other channels of the internet. Um, but the season ends in episode eight where, a bunch of old familiar faces come back and we, we get to resolve some uh, older plot lines. Right. Um, and I think that resolution is necessary. Like the Alicia character dies this season. Um, and we have Simon like going back to save her and whatnot. Um, this is actually, this actually serves two purposes. It tells you why Simon came back to the to our present right why he came back from the future and it also gives us a uh, closure for for what's going to happen next in that antonia thomas who plays alicia leaves at the end of season three right um so we we kind of know what simon's motivating force is now we've solidified that their love story we've removed alicia from the narrative in a way that makes sense everything's wrapped up So uh, Alicia, Curtis, and Kelly are the only people remaining from that original cast from season one. Again, the show is kind of like, it's, it's, the sh- I feel like the show, honestly, even in its it, when moments where it hits like a bad note, it does the best it can and even more than what others could do given this constant revolving door of core, ca- core cast ca- members, right? They're just like, we're in, we're out, new people, old people. It's It was a lot. Um, but how do you feel about season three? How would you grade that? Um, I think there are definitely some hiccups, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I personally think that it only I'm only going to still give it like a good minus off of the strength of that, that ending episode, season eight. Uh, because I really do think it it ties up everything really well um, and it really um, solidifies all these big ideas that the show gave us and and it wraps it up in a way that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It really does make sense. It's certainly much better closure than what we got with the Nathan character, that's for sure. Um, And I really feel like um, these characters leaving um, kind of... Um, bring more dimension to some of the characters that have stayed. Um, I do like the one-offs in this season. Not Kelly and Bruno. Y'all could have kept that. 
But everything else, I feel like even when it was like goofy, it was still really enjoyable. So I would also give it a good minus. Yeah, I'm I'm there. Um, but all in all, yeah, these first three are are really strong. The yeah. other two, I don't know. Mostly because yeah. I don't think it's no, but it's like I don't care about those people. But um, <laughs> uh, but um. But yeah, it's really good, and and the series is really excellent. Uh, so, There you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first three seasons of Misfits good, bad, basic, and thrilling. Misfits isn't currently streaming for free, but if you'd like to check out the series, Misfits is available for sale via iTunes, YouTube, and it's currently streaming on Hulu. Please let us know your thoughts on the series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Misfits Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing the last two seasons of this innovative sci-fi series. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.